You're going to see the interview everyone is going to be talking about. Wagon wheel, what to see? What do I think of her? Yes. I don't think of her. Then we become divas as opposed to just strong women. Oh, coughing during my interview, really? It feels uh, reductive. And welcome to Big Diva Energy, the podcast for and about fabulous people being fucking excellent. I'm Holly Morgan and my husband Tom is also here. I threw the second Molotov cocktail. And with us is the fabulous carrot for part two of our companion episodes on two of the legends of Stonewall. Catch up if you missed episode one. Uh, please do go back and listen to our episode on Marsha P. Johnson in which we cover the Stonewall riots in some depth. It's going to come up today though, spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> but in this episode, we're going to be concentrating on the late, great Sylvia Rivers. Um, hello, lovely carrot. How are you, darling? Hello, I'm here. I'm alive and I'm good. Yes. Looking radiant. Thank you. Yes, radiant indeed. <laughs> I've put some makeup on because why not, hey? Any- why the fuck not? Treat yourself. <laughs> I've slipped a beat on as all, actually. I'm quite pleased with myself. Today. It's your Saturday beat, isn't it? It's my Saturday beat. Um- <laughs> Marginally I- different from your Sunday beat. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you whack a bronzer on at the moment and you're just like who am I kidding I haven't been outside <laughs> yeah and you know everyone knows you haven't everyone well. knows I'm now, <laughs> I'm now using it like a shade up from like Victorian alabaster <laughs> I've got sort of like toilet bowl uh toilet bowl porcelain is what I'm bronzing with at the oh, moment I'm, <laughs> I'm just using like talcum powder at this point <laughs> the best a shade up. <laughs> the pair of us look like Elizabeth the First today. We've got full like, chalk paint on. <laughs> An inch thick. <laughs> surely at this point in lockdown, though, like I mean, well, surely by this point in terms of makeup, like bronzer, it's not as 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 has been exposed it's on redundant. this podcast. It's not my expertise. <laughs> Yeah. But but it is redundant now. It's not it's not a, an attempt to make people think that you're tanned anymore, right? No, it's how it's how I in, insert a cheekbone into, yeah. into the narrative. No, but in terms of like <laughs> fake tan and stuff, because presumably there's a lot of people in lockdown when they do go outside wearing a lot of fake tan because yeah. it's it's a popular look. It's a popular yeah. look. So, but but that presumably that is proof that that there's no point in fake tan. Fake tan is not attempting to prove anything anymore. No. It's its own thing. It's its own thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I was going with that. So welcome no to... Yeah, no one's been on holiday at this point. No. I mean... Yeah. They better not have. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Knock. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. As we touched on in episode one, Sylvia was one of the most radical human rights activists of the 60s and 70s. However, for years, her legacy was obscured. She was completely written out of the god-awful 2015 film nominally about the riots, a film described by Rotten Tomatoes as offensively bad, BT dubs. So it's on the up and up, guys. Um, just to let all the listeners know, uh, we did. I gave this trick a warning in episode one, but I'm going to give it again. Um, the discussion surrounding the early part of Sylvia's life will involve some language pertaining to child sexual abuse. Um, so I will obviously try and mention that before each time. Um, now, in between the two episodes, I did mention, I did include Marsha's dead name, in the last episode and I've sort of thought about it and I kind of don't know why I did that really <laughs> so I'm not going to use Sylvia's I think yeah I think that's a good idea yeah. I, I, it's not needed you know I don't think so I think I was thinking with Marsha because she went through some dysphoria and was using male pronouns at one stage that it was important but actually I think 
I don't think that is that applies to Sylvia. I think she, she had. I don't think we need to do it. So you you agree with me then? I do. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, for Marsha, a, a lot of the um, historical records around Marsha often contain her dead name. Yeah. So I, I guess I can see how that would be more. But I don't know Sylvia's. And no. I don't, I don't need to know. Great. Well, we're not mentioning it. We're not having it. Yes. Uh, so also a note on terminology um, for the listener. Um, sometimes Sylvia will refer to herself as a drag queen. And sometimes she means that as like an umbrella term for um, nonconformity or for trans. So some things have evolved. And I will just try and let everyone know when I'm going to use old vocabulary. So let's get into it. So Sylvia was born in the Bronx in 1951 to a Puerto Rican father, Jose Rivera, and a Venezuelan mother, whose name is unknown. Of her birth, in an interview with the sublime Eric Marcus, which can be heard in full on the Making Gay History podcast, she said, I was born July the 2nd, 1951, at 2.30 in the morning in a taxi cab in the old Lincoln Hospital parking lot. The old queen couldn't wait. She says, I'm ready to hit the streets. <laughs> My grandmother always used to joke about that. I said, yeah, you see why I'm always standing out on the street corner. And then I was. Came out feet first. <laughs> I love this. Even at birth is mythic. <laughs> Isn't it brilliant? I love it. Like It's like a folk tale. Yeah, create mythos around your own birth story. <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah. I'm just surprised there wasn't a storm in, yeah. the, in the story. <laughs> and on the third lightning crash, I slid out. <laughs> yeah. Do you have- do you have a birth mythos story, Cara, that you want to? <laughs> <laughs> I think I came when my mum was picking up my brother from school. Oh, really? Yeah, I was like, I've, I've always taken the attention away. <laughs> Your brother must be like, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Want to get yeah. home and watch cartoons? <laughs> What's the age gap between you two? He was five at the time, so he's five, five and a half years between us. Oh, bless him. You're very aware at five, aren't you, of your thunder being nicked? Yeah, old enough to be livid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Let's leave this for my therapist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll just give you the raw files, babe, that you can, you can give them yeah. after. <laughs> so the father, Sylvia's father, abandoned the young family, and Sylvia's mother very sadly ended her life when Sylvia was just three. Um, her mother reportedly drank rat poison and attempted to get Sylvia to drink it too by mixing it with some milk. But Sylvia didn't like the taste and that's why she didn't drink very much of it. And so, you know, thankfully she survived. Um, again, speaking to Eric Marcus, Sylvia said this of her childhood. I was born to be an effeminate child. My grandmother used to come home and find me all dressed up just like I'd get my ass whipped, of course, you know. Well, we don't do this. You're one of the boys. I want you to be a mechanic. I said, no, but I want to be a hairdresser. I want to do this and I want to wear these clothes. So she knew very early on that there was something that she needed to express about her identity. And yeah, I mean, it, it's, 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 a, it's a narrative we've heard before, isn't it? Mm. It's a story you hear, Hen. hen, hen. <laughs> it's a story you hear, Hen. <laughs> it's a story you hear again and again of um, yeah. queer, queer journeys where as a kid you feel different and you're not sure how and you, so you do weird things or you like want to wear, I think I, I wanted a tutu for my fourth birthday. Did you? Oh, lovely. Yes. I think I might have even mentioned that in the last podcast. <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. You still want it. That clearly. That's why. This is a request. <laughs> I know. It's, I, I haven't got it. <laughs> Just sliding it to every podcast. Is Carrot's boyfriend <laughs> listening? They couldn't make it clearer. Get every the tutu. Podcast. 
<laughs> the MB show is being renamed to the Get Me a Tutu podcast. Every it's a bit like Dead Eyes. Like they get you on every week. You get a different guest on and explain to them how you still sh- haven't got my tutu. <laughs> Raging. So are you going to buy me a tutu? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> oh, amazing. The grandmother had such a sense of stereotype as well. Wanted I know. to be a mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but when is this? It's 51. Yeah, so not early the 50s, I guess that was kind of... She didn't mean in the mechanics, right? As in Mike? Probably, yeah. Almost certainly. One of the mechanics. <laughs> so Sylvia left home at 11 and found herself homeless and hustling on 42nd Street to scratch out enough money to get by. She says she left home to protect her grandmother. Trigger warning. Uh, I'm quoting Sylvia, and she does use a slur here. They're calling you pato, which means faggot in the Spanish language. And it hurt her so bad because they were doing this to me. And she knew where I was coming from. She knew I had that much respect for my grandmother. I didn't want her to suffer. It wasn't my suffering. I was worrying about her suffering. God, isn't that just so indicative of how empathetic and caring she was? Mm -hmm. She removed Mm. herself from the equation because she knew it was impacting on her grandmother. Mm. Yeah. Like... I think time and time again, we hear that about her, don't we? That she puts other people first every time. Yeah, Just yeah. And there's always that guilt that you feel like you're different and you feel like you're bringing that into people's lives who just have very normal lives. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, there is a guilt around that, I think, around being queer. Yeah. Always. Um, so, yeah, so she left home. She took herself out of that situation and um, became involved in survival sex and lived almost constant fear of violence, um, both on the street and from police. She once threw herself out of a moving police car to evade arrest. Uh, She was arrested numerous times for sex work and loitering. And each time her grandmother actually bailed her out. Again, I'm just about, I'm going to use a slur as I'm quoting Sylvia. Of her childhood uh, arrest record, she said, if you walk down 42nd Street and even look like a faggot, you were going to jail. And I refused to pass. I just found that quote really telling about her, about her vulnerability her resilience and the passion that she brought to fighting for the right to gender expression mm-hmm. just like i will fight i will move myself i will fall from a moving car but i'm not gonna pass i'm not gonna do it yeah there's nothing that you can do to control me yeah. and make me fit into these boxes that you've put there yeah it's yeah. very very inspiring yeah i think that's what the whole pride movement's about isn't it yeah. it's about it's about that unapologetic I'm going to express myself and I'm going to express my true self and I'm not going to be ashamed of it. I'm yeah. Be proud. Exactly. And that's what's so beautiful. And that's what I think we're going to keep saying about her message, which I think is what it's just, it just, it makes me feel so emotional because it's all her message is about visibility and, and no visibility equality will come from that you know what I mean so yeah I think that's that's from I think that as well the true message of pride unfortunately some people didn't agree with us as we will as we will find when we get to it but Mm. yeah just I think that's been her message since she was clearly a child which is just superb what a hero Mm. to have that kind of strength from such an early age crazy so shortly after leaving home at 12 she met Marsha who she said became like a mother to her this, I mean, this is the crazy thing that we forget. They were only 17 and 23, respectively, <laughs> at Stonewall. They'd already seen so much life. 17 and 23. And this, isn't that mad? <laughs> I, I've never even, th- I've just always thought of them as ageless. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. They were, they were, they were babies. 
<laughs> that is mad. I mean, I think, I mean, obviously I went to like stop the Iraq war marches when I was like 17, 18, but. <laughs> and, and that did it, didn't it? I did it. I solved it. Um, you're yeah. welcome. <laughs> but I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, well, obviously, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be born with, to be someone who didn't have that much to fight about, you know, let's be yeah. honest. I was a, a white middle-class cis woman, but yeah, to be on the front lines at 17 and 23. Yeah. <laughs> now I feel like an underachiever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so very little, unfortunately, is known about Sylvia's earlier life. Uh, the main source is obviously that Eric Marcus interview, which is amazing. Um, the most content's obviously around Stonewall. Um, we do know that she was politicised before Stonewall and an active member of the civil rights movement. And from her posthumously released essay, Queens in Exile, The Forgotten Ones, these words will still sadly ring true. We're all in the same boat as long as we're being oppressed one way or another, whether we are gay, straight, trans, black, yellow, green, purple or whatever. If we don't fight for each other, we'll be put down. And after all these years, the trans community is still at the back of the bus. Mm. But yeah, that was her that was her credo from like day dot pre Stonewall. I'm going to fight for anyone. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what Pride's about as well. You yeah, know? yeah. It's, it's the and that's what protest I think should be about in general. It's, yeah, it's about solidarity, and none of us are you know free until we all are. Exactly. The classic quote. Exactly. As ever with Stonewall, there is very little agreement across the board about who was where, who did what. Um, for a fuller discussion of Stonewall, please bob back to episode one um, or go to the You're Wrong About podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, does it particularly matter at what stage Sylvia got to the Stonewall Inn on June 28th, 1969? I mean, I don't know. Not, right? <laughs> I don't as, think it as with Marsha. Yeah. Uh, but for what it's worth, in 1987, Marsha told Eric Marcus that she didn't arrive until the riots had already started. And in 2001, Sylvia said she and her boyfriend were at the Stonewall when it was raided, but that she wasn't the first to resist. Yeah. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about the first brick thing that we've got mm. this complete obsession culturally with firsts i think like Mm -hmm. who broke who 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 broke ground or whatever and there's the first brick at stonewalls obviously become a bit of a meme um do you Mm. know about this tom about this yeah so it's like there's like a kind of tongue-in-cheek one where it's like um you know lady bunny through the first brick at brick at stone oh i see yeah okay or there's or like or or there's an earnest one which is like marsha p johnson through the first brick at stonewall because we feel like that gives her more credibility or whatever and then there's like like completely ridiculous like for for quote-unquote like allies who get into choppy waters like andrew garfield through the first <laughs> rock and stone all that kind of thing my favorite one is the a picture of the t-rex from jurassic park <laughs> <laughs> she threw the first pick <laughs> on youtube years ago with all the dinosaurs saying hello have you ever seen that <laughs> hi hi yeah. i threw the first brick <laughs> there's another one that i saw where they someone's dubbed over the dinosaurs all going yeah <laughs> amazing <laughs> i guess is there also something about the fact that it's a brick is that something that we kind of like latch on to because it's an image of Viol- or of, of physically fighting back maybe is that why it's important I think bricks are quite often used in like in, in as a riot imagery isn't right it? yeah it's like bricks going through shop windows is quite mm. a common you throw a brick through a shop window if you're like 
like the mafia used to put bricks through people's windows. And sure. Stuff. It's like a sort of common way. I mean, you could just use a stone. I don't know why bricks are more no. readily available, but... There's a brick, because there are like just bricks. Yeah. <laughs> Lots they of... They take a brick out of the wall and then like, throw it. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, now you mention it, I'm like, that's stupid. Yeah. Why were they going out searching for brick, going to like uh, screw fix and being like, <laughs> where's all this random masonry? <laughs> oh, I'm going to the club tonight, make sure I've got my brick. I guess there's a lot of building sites. <laughs> make sure you've got your bag full of bricks. If you're in, I suppose if you're in New York, I suppose it's quite hard to find stones just kicking around, isn't it? Whereas there's a lot of building sites. Yeah, probably. I don't know. Not a brick. <laughs> Right, keys, wallet, brick. Yeah, I'm ready. Mask. <laughs> Do the pat down. Yeah. The brick's the easiest one. You should probably know if it's in your pocket or not. <laughs> we'll never know. Never yeah, know. I think I think it's a sort of image, isn't it? Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah, the brick is a quite um, strong sort of uh, symbol. Yeah. Whatever Sylvia says, <laughs> she was there on the first night. We'd just come back in from um, from Washington, my first lover and I. We were passing forged checks and whatnot, but we were making good money. And so, well, let's go to Stonewall. Actually, it was the first time that I'd ever been to friggin' Stonewall. I wasn't in full drag. I was dressed, you know, very pleasantly. I was wearing a woman's suit. Pale bottoms were out then. I had made this fabulous suit at home, and I was wearing that, and I had the hair out. Lots of makeup, lots of hair. We had to live with it. We had to live with it until that day. I don't know if it was the customers or it was the police. It just, everything clicked. Yeah. I love that she had to describe what she was wearing. It's like, bell, I wasn't wearing yeah. bell bottoms. Just want to be very clear. <laughs> Make no mistake. They were out. <laughs> She's absolutely, the way she speaks is so, I mean, I hope we can include some clips of her in the, in the episode because. Yeah, maybe I'll do them instead of me reading them verbatim. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think I'd much rather have a clip than me going. Um, I was, and then you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should do that rather than having a straight man reading Sylvia yeah. Rivera's words. I could have done with a warning on that, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, I didn't. I don't know. What, I never know what we can and can't include. But it's in bad public usage, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, but in, um, oh, I don't know how journalism works in that sense. Journalistic interviews. Yeah, yeah, if you're on a news channel or your public access, I think. Yeah. Talking of first brick of Stonewall, uh, Leonard Dunham just basically used wholesale that Eric Marcus interview and whacked it on her own podcast. What? It's <laughs> yeah, like, babe. What's her podcast about? Um, famous women in history. But I was a bit like, I feel like, I feel like you should probably credit him. She didn't even mention it. <laughs> she did. She did. But it was very brief. And then she was like, here you are. <laughs> I was like, you didn't do this. This is someone else's. Anyway, Leonard Dunham sidebar. Yeah, how did she get that effect on the voices to make it sound like it was in the 1970s? <laughs> I know. So, um, just for the listener, I, I mean, just I did a little bit of research here. I don't know if it, this is... Um, I, I don't, you know, I'm not, by no means an expert. in. I'm not his historian. So, I, you know, I always like to find out the facts. Um, and I was really interested. So the history of gay activism, blah, blah, blah. the history of, of gay activism obviously doesn't doesn't start with Stonewall, um, and it doesn't even start. It's not even the beginning of LGBTQ plus people fighting back physically, which I, I was really interested to find out. Um, so there've been two incidents in the Tenderloin in San Francisco in 1959 at Cooper's, a donut shop in the city situated between two gay bars. Um, the patrons fought back against some police officers after the arrest of a number of drag queens and sex workers and gay men. 
And also in 1966, so just kind of just before Stonewall, um, some transgender customers of Compton's cafeteria in San Francisco fought back against years of police violence and oppression. So it was kind of, it was in the firmament was what I was interested to find out. Like, it wasn't like overnight they were like, right. That's it. <laughs> get the bricks out. Oh, well, they already had them famously. Obviously, they were prepped. But it was Stonewall which has been crystallised in the popular imagination as day dot for LGBTQ plus resistance for a myriad reasons, which we cannot even begin to actually try and cover. Um, for a really in-depth history, there are some great resources which we'll put in the show notes. Yeah. And I guess we were saying this in part one, weren't we, about how, how it's not taught in school, so we have to find this sort of stuff out for ourselves, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I did find some really good resources, which I shall let the dear listener have. Um, so I, I just, I want to put forward a theory of mine, <laughs> um, which is, you know, very, very bold of me to put forward my theory as to why a stonewall has um, been crystallised in this way, why it's been seen as the touch paper. I think mm-hmm. it's because of the intersectionality of, of what happened. So like, if you compare it to... Um, the events in 1966. So the movement had, up until this point had been led by largely cis gay men, mm. white gay men. And then, like, for example, so they, called the, they were called the Mattachine Society, or maybe Mattachine. Matt, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, <laughs> but they were a male gay rights society. And they challenged the fact that a bar could have its liquor license revoked for serving gay patrons with a sip-in at a bar called Julius's, um, which was in Greenwich Village, that was very popular with gay men. But l- contrast that with, with what we're talking about, bricks. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is a sip-in. It was very civilised, it was very calm, and it was also yeah. mostly gay white white men very palatable very palatable very yeah you know well i'll just sit here and have my mint julius and, and i'm not going anywhere in contrast with stonewall where you've got transgender women you've got lesbians like stormy delavery you've got a whole cross section of the community it's actually incredibly inclusive and representative yeah. which is really lovely that we now commemorate it but makes it even more maddening that their contribution, that Sylvia and Marsh's contribution for so long went un, unmarked by the community. And kind of like that, it everything swung a little bit back towards the sipping and the, we're going to beat the sweater gaze. They almost took credit for it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. like, thanks for doing Stonewall. Now we're just going to behave for a bit. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's maddening, but interesting. Yeah, I can see how that's the case. Definitely the intersectionality of it made it more powerful and more noticeable for people. And then I guess that they managed to keep that spirit going. Yeah. I think that it didn't, they, the same people that all came together, kept coming together and kept it going onwards into the future years. Because you can fight back and do your sipping once, but like to keep that movement going and to give it enough power and fire that it will keep going even now, 50 years later, yeah. is what's amazing. Absolutely, yeah. Continuity and, yeah, continued commitment, right? Mm. Yeah. What is concrete is that Sylvia and Marsh's activism was integral to the movement in the coming months and years after the riots. Yes. A much more radical fight for sexual liberation and gay power had begun, and these two exceptional trans women were leading the charge. Yes. We'll so, take a long break there in that case. Oh, yeah, we'll have a little break. Everyone, refresh your drinks.
carrots balloon lamp. Is that what it is? I think so. It's lovely. It's really nice, isn't it? Shades of it. Mm. <laughs> Glamour it. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Carrot. I just had done a bit of a wormhole in that last in that last section just because I was going through the scripts and uh, I hadn't realised that the the f word was in there and I I haven't said that so I I it threw me for a real loop when I said it so oh. I apologise if. It, it surprised me as much as... I know there was a trigger warning, but I didn't... There was a trigger warning, yeah, and it was fine. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine. Do you? <laughs> okay, good. Well, I don't, just to be clear. <laughs> good, 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 good. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> I think it's really interesting, though, like... Obviously, we will try and quote, try and use Sylvia's audio, but it's like when you actually have to say those words... It's, it's horrible. It is horrible. It feels horrible yeah. to say it. Um, yeah. Uh, that that word was one the last one that I got used to. I still not to be honest. Yeah. In certain, I only use it with certain people in certain situations. Sure, yeah. One hundred. Yeah. So, like, I mean, we have friends that use it, and I would never use it myself. But like, I you know, if I feel like if, if you want to say it, babe, like that's that's your you know yeah. ownership. Um, but it, it, yeah, it never feels easy, does it? And, no. And I think the way she, I don't think she's using it in the same way. I think mm. she's still using it in a kind of, it's loaded. Oh, she's referring to what someone, what called, someone called her. her. Yeah. Exactly. It's not a reclaiming. Yeah. I think that's how I still use it, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I still use it in that way. People yeah. still, I, think, I don't think people use queer as a slur as much anymore. Yeah. I think everyone's aware enough that that doesn't really, that enough people use it about themselves that it doesn't yeah. bother yeah. them anymore. It's an identity now. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, we don't have LGBTQF. No. <laughs> no and probably never will. <laughs> I don't see that being a thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it, for, for our generation, I think that's the case, isn't it? But I, I wonder if we met some, with somebody who was older than our parents, maybe, they probably would be like, hang on, you're using, you're, you're using queer? I don't know if, they, if they, yeah. that is... Yeah, I think that is a thing, actually. Yeah. It is a thing. There are there are a lot of um, it's usually like older gay men who really hate hate the identity of queer people and hate the the term. Yeah, it's, really? it is a thing. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a difficult subject. It is, yeah. isn't it? Well, I, I found that actually as a in, in my generation of feminist feminist critique, I don't have any problem with saying cunt, and I would I'll call someone a cunt, but my mum gets really funny about it. And she would give her a birthday card every year with the word cunt on it. Yeah, because she thinks it's funny. But like she, she does get like in a kind of her her feminism crackles a bit. And she's like, why should it be a slur to call someone by by the name for a vagina? Mm. Which I think is probably similar to the f word, maybe a bit. Maybe for that generation, interesting. Especially with that generation, like that is the word that gets unloaded on women. Yeah. When it's like I want to hurt you with my words, mm-hmm. which is what a slur is, right? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Anyway, dear listener, um, let's crack on with Sylvia Rivera. So, uh, Sylvia was an active member of the Gay Liberation Front, the GLF, which is not to be confused with the uh, British equivalent, Peter Tatchell's GLF, and later the Gay, Acti- gay Activist Alliance, GAA, uh, which were two New York gay rights groups working towards an anti-discrimination ordinance. And Sylvia's commitment to her cause, it literally knew no bounds. Um, my, one of my favourite anecdotes I had is one time when the New York City Council was debating a gay rights bill behind closed doors, she was arrested for trying to climb in via a window in a dress and high heels. Yes. 
That's amazing. It's incredible, isn't it? It's like, you'll close the door on me? Okay, I'm scaling the building. I don't care if I'm in heels. <laughs> Everything. However, as the GAA grew more conservative and more concerned with assimilation, it began to ignore the rights of the transgender population. Of this, Sylvia said, when things started getting more mainstream, it was like, we don't need you no more. So we're getting into the, the sad bit here, aren't we? One of the many sad bits. I was going to say, getting into it. <laughs> I mean, the... We're going deeper into some sadness. Oh, dear. Um, Sylvia was extremely critical of gay and lesbian groups which focused on assimilation and the resultant marginalisation of transgender people. Um, Obviously, as we were saying, the gay rights movement up to this point had been led by the gay male group, the Mattachine Society. I'm going with Mattachine as pronunciation. No idea if I'm right. And joined later by the lesbian group Daughters of Bilitis, or Bilitis, again, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. You're a reader, not a sayer. That's true. Um, but they were both pacifist organisations. And then Stonewall, obviously, if we were saying, has ignited something much more radical. But tragically, this is the moment at which the movement begins turning its back on those who had pushed forward the radical agenda, the transgender women. Which is ah, yeah. heartbreaking. And would we argue has never really recovered in some ways? I think we could argue that, couldn't we? I mean, there's definitely still the divide there and um, even to the point now where it's gone the other way, where people are radically dividing from the trans community. Yeah. Radical being the operative word. Yeah. Yeah. That R in turf and that sort of... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you see it it quite a lot on on Tinder, don't you? Not Tinder. (laughs) I'm not on Tinder. I don't think you do. (laughs) The other one. (laughs) Oh, fucking hell. I'm not on Tinder, darling. Um, on Twitter, you see the LGB, don't you, trending. You're like, oh, fucking hell. Yeah, it's... the LGB alliance. Oh, just... fuck's It's absolutely mm-hmm. appalling. You were working for a while at um, Pride, weren't you, Carrot? Yes, I used to do voluntary work for Pride in London, actually, mm. which I'm not, I um, say now with a little shame because yeah. they've kind of... Yes sort of dwindled i mean they weren't the best back then but i was naive <laughs> now i look back and i'm like oh wow there's a i mean i did leave which yeah. gives me <laughs> a few credits but it was it yeah it's a difficult situation going on with pride at the moment yeah. but yes i volunteer for them as part of the social media team you were an early adopter to leaving pride <laughs> i was yeah <laughs> years <laughs> earlier than they all decided <laughs> <laughs> But, trend. <laughs> but in terms of the sort of LGB alliance kind of thing, was there was there were you facing some of that bullshit then when you were working with them or? Well, not not um, not as much then. Um, there was. I don't really know. I think I was just very. I was very young at the time. Of course, very, yeah. Sort of naive. So I did. I was just sort of very excited to be a part of this amazing organization and event and like very felt very privileged to be there because i was so young of course um, but um i know that in more recent years because i also did the pride's got talent competition oh did you which is what started my career in dragon cabaret oh wow i did i was did a double act with a friend we were called busty and ginger <laughs> and uh, we won and we got to perform on the Trafalgar Square stage on that same year was the year when the turfs invaded the parade. Oh my god, yeah. And um and it all kicked off and I think that was 2019. Yeah, that rings a bell, yeah. Um so not even that long ago really. No. Um 
but I don't know where I was going with that. So I've, I've, <laughs> I've, been, I've been involved in lots of different ways, I think is what I was trying to say. Yeah, um, with, um, yeah it's a, it's, they're in a difficult position and it's a difficult thing because they're they're run entirely by volunteers right nobody is paid to do their role so it's really hard to get it you know people not doing it for their own egos or Mm. not doing it because they want something out of it like it's difficult i think to find the sylvias and the marshes (laughs) who are doing it to um, further the movement which everyone says they are and they are but a lot of the time it's yeah there's a yeah. bit of give and take going on and it's a bit challenging and i'm guilty good... of it myself so it's it's a challenging thing yeah it's a really good point yeah uh, yeah i mean for the listener we're recording this at the end of the week in which yeah. the entire board of london's pride have have uh, stepped down um citing a hostile environment towards people of color in um so it's all quite fresh for yeah. us as we're recording. Yeah, we? It's pretty real. <laughs> um, in terms of Sylvia's story, frustrated by the dominance of white cisgendered men in the movement Sylvia and Marsha founded, Star Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, the year after Stonewall in 1970, and they opened a shelter for homeless transgender youth. So we spoke a bit about Star uh, in episode one. Get it listened to if you haven't. But again, just to highlight, the formation of Star and Star House is emblemat- emblematic of the mix of revolutionary action and boundless empathy which Sylvia embodied and as we mentioned Marsha and Sylvia took part in sex work in order to defend the young people they gave a shelter to so that they themselves did not have to go on the streets which is worth repeating it it's, bears repeating it's amazing it's, I can't even get my head around that kind of sacrifice like yes. empathy is just the word isn't it for her and maternal instincts she always said she was a mother didn't she to that community and you just mm-hmm. that's the kind of that's the sort of sacrifice that like i guess a religious person would think would associate with mary isn't it that's the true madonna isn't it about just i exist to sacrifice myself for you everything is yeah. is done in service of my children which is just saintly quite frankly yeah it, it really is. Yeah. It really is. I wish I could have gone to visit that house. Oh my gosh! Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so well, fun. Yeah, it's quite interesting. It's they, they are planning a, a some statues in in, in memoriam for, of 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 Marsha and Sylvia, and there's been a bit of controversy again because Marsha's family have basically said there's something shady going on. The, our our relatives' memories being co-opted in a way we're not happy with. So. As the time of recording, there isn't a, a a statue or proper place to that would you know commemorate them. But I wonder where mm. Star House was, and I hope that there's a plaque there. Mm. Yeah. And if there isn't, get one up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, start a petition. Come on, get your bricks out. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it can't be in the best part of New York. I would. <laughs> I yeah. Would have assumed. Do you know what I should have looked at where it is actually? I don't know even what borough it's in. I'll find out. We'll put it in the show notes. Sure. <laughs> so, as but as the gay rights movement progressed, um, increasingly Marsha and, and Sylvia are being left out and excluded. And but still, she rallied. She protested. She caucused, and she got arrested in the name of what she believed in. Earning mm. decades later, after her death, the title of the Rosa Parks of the Modern Transgender Movement, which is what the Village Voice dubbed her, which is interesting. And one of the most heartbreaking moments in the film, The Life and Death of Marsha P. Johnson, is from the Pride March in 1973, when Sylvia was repeatedly blocked from speaking. Do you remember this part, Kara? 
Yeah, remember it well, yeah. I know we it's talked about the slightly problematic part of that film as well, given that the um, the accusations of the, the filmmaker taking um, things from um, a, a director of oh, colour. But yes. in terms of that, that yes. that's the original footage, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it is really hard to watch, but mm. you watch it and you're like... Um, because there's thousands of people there. Thousands. Her, like, suffer and, like, and they... They're almost like happy about it. Yeah. I yeah. can't imagine how that would feel to be a part of starting this movement <sighs> and having it reject you yeah. like that. Unbelievable. It's, it must be it must be heartbreaking. Absolutely. I think I hope that we can include this audio in in the show and I would say we could put the put the link to the YouTube video of the whole of the whole speech but it is just I think I think you can see her heartbreaking. I think you see the moment it happens, and it's just, yeah. oh, devastating. Um, but before we get into a full discussion of that speech, I just I I went down and had a little research into the history of Pride, which I thought was I I didn't know that much about. Um, and it probably needs its own episode. Episode really. Um, yeah. I didn't know that it basically it, it grew out of a protest by the Mattachine Society that society I can't say the name of uh, it was a guy called Craig Rodwell who was a member of Mattachine uh, and it was in 1965 adhering to a very strict dress code of shirt and tie for men <laughs> and dresses for women uh, 39 activists from various organisations turned up to ask for equality opportunity and dignity and I don't want to I don't want to diminish this bravery this is obviously incredible However, I think it's interesting that there was a dress code. I think it's interesting that this event was called the annual reminder <laughs> and it was very together. It was it was a it was the real vanilla of protests and fuck, you know, they did what they fucking could, didn't they in 1965? I'm not I don't want to from one minute like cast aspersions on it. Um, yeah. But that's that's the birthplace of modern pride, which is really interesting. And that then it's cool isn't it and then but Rodwell was then having a meeting about the next annual reminder after Stonewall and he basically said how about we do something that it feels more like a commemoration of the Stonewall riots and that was what became the Christopher Street Liberation Day and mm. it wasn't just Rodwell as well there was a, a woman a, a bisexual activist called Brenda Howard who as well who's one of the other sort of uh, what do you call them architects I guess of modern pride mm. And yeah, so they came up with this idea for like a week of events surrounding it. And this caught on with other GLF activists in Chicago, LA and San Francisco. And then parades took, took place in those cities. And then that idea took hold in Europe. And then we have the first London Pride in 1972. So mm -hmm. obviously we've spoken, Carrot, about the fact that your feelings about, about Pride itself are difficult and um, complicated. I just wondered, in the wake of this week we've had where we're all going, oh, bloody, bloody hell, how awful, do you have any uplifting, happy memories of Prides? Yeah, if we want to, if we're able to put aside uh, feelings about Pride in London as an organisation. Sure. Yeah. Um, I can, de I definitely have a, a lovely memory of sort of the first Pride I did. I was very young i was around 19 mm -hmm. 20 and um i knew i wanted to be a part of it i i had just read up about the history of pride like by which i mean read the wikipedia article <laughs> um, 
for Pride in London and read their website and just decided to sign up to volunteer. Um, I remember the volunteers. It was all very casual mm-hmm. at the time still. Yeah. We met in like a Starbucks and like... <laughs> Um, I was just volunteering on the day as part of the social media team and they had like 10, 15 people across London that would cover all the social media channels Oh, cool! and you just would be given like, I don't know, whatever, like Instagram login for the day and like, and this is not how they do it now. <laughs> this was like, God, six, seven years ago. So and um, it was it was really exciting to be like that they were like you know so you just been given this login and they had like i don't know ten thousand followers or whatever which to me was like the most exciting thing ever <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was just really um fun i just remember i made friends with this girl who i'm still in touch with today oh wow and we spent the whole day together um and like managed to uh, sort of blag our way into a lot of places because we were wearing the Pride in London t-shirt to get backstage. We managed to get in backstage. Yes. We managed to like just get our way into places uh, using this t-shirt. So I feel like my first Pride experience was very different to what most people's would be <laughs> yeah. drinking on the street. I was yeah. just like, running around with my iPhone like five or whatever when it was and <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, like excitedly blagging my way into weird like places in pride and not having to queue anywhere so it was quite fun incredible um, and, and and i do remember the the feeling for the first time i think i did go the year before very briefly got very drunk and left very quickly so <laughs> vaguely <laughs> vaguely remember it but it was um, I do remember seeing for the first time going out and seeing all the gay, queer, trans couples like together, holding hands, hugging, kissing and, and not not worrying about it at all. Yeah. That was very eye opening moment for me. Mm. And I think like because that is not something you see even on the telly. You don't you never see it. Mm-hmm. You never really see it. Yeah. Or, or at the time, you certainly didn't. Oh, now my God, you- no. Um, but at the time, like, which is crazy to think how much that's changed in five, six years. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, at, at the time, I hadn't really seen that, had no experience of that. I didn't know any, really have any gay friends or any gay couples. So it was um, it, it was really exciting to see that for the first time. And that will always stay with me. That's beautiful. That is remarkable. I just wanted a happy memory before we talk about the, the 1973 Christopher Street Liberation Day. Because it's, um, yeah, strap in, everyone. (laughs) So I think we put the full clip in the show notes of Sylvia's speech at the 1973 Christopher Street Liberation Day, but I would warn you that it is very, very difficult to watch. Uh, The organisers of the event are visibly harassed. They asked the crowd if they want to hear from, quote-unquote, these people, and Sylvia bullishly takes the mic. Sylvia, her voice hoarse with fatigue and emotion, shouts over the booing and jeering crowd. She outlines the history of the sacrifices that she has made, the abuse she has suffered. I will not no longer put up with this shit. I have been beaten. I have had my nose broken. I have been thrown in jail. I have lost my job. I have lost my apartment for gay liberation. 
and you all treat me this way? What the fuck's wrong with you all? Think about that. <sighs> Just to interject there, like, um, I didn't realise until I did a bit of research about it that I'd seen the speech before, I'd seen it as part of that film and... Um, she, when she says I had my nose broken, she'd literally just had her nose broken <laughs> before she comes on stage. And it's just... At the march. Yeah, it's just oh, it's heartbreaking. Mm, that's bonkers. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. And it's such a great speech and it's so impassioned. I think it should be studied alongside other great speeches yeah i think it should Mm. be studied because i don't know it feels very spontaneous i don't know what she had kind of bullet pointed out or whatever but the as a rhetorician it's an amazing speech it's absolutely Mm. fantastic yeah i believe in us getting our rights or else i would not be out there fighting for our rights that's all i wanted to say to your people if you all want to know about the people that are in jail and do not forget Bambi Lamore and Dora Marks, Kenny Messner and other gay people that are in jail, come and see the people at Starhouse on 12th Street. On 6th. It, it always feels like, because we speak about her as one of the mothers of the Pride movement, yeah. I imagine it's like, the pride movement was in its like teenage years <laughs> and she was this was her like i'm very disappointed in you moment nice exactly that yeah yeah exactly like turn my back on turn your back on me would you well i gave birth to you you fucks yeah, <laughs> yeah. brings yeah. a very real interpretation to you're not my real mum yeah 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 absolutely anyway in oh. the face of these continued shouts and taunts she famously rails the people that are trying to do something for all of us and not men and women that belong to a white middle class, white club. And that's what you all belong to. Revolution now! And after this heartbreaking rejection from the movement, Sylvia attempted to take her own life. She was saved by Marsha P. Johnson. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah. It just feels so cruel that I I think I think towards the end of her life she 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 did realize that she was fully assimilated and fully um I think that I'm sh- I would I like to hope that she could tell how influential she had been. I think mm. she probably did. I think she always sort of knew. But this yeah. that moment of rejection like <sighs> defies description really, doesn't it? does yeah oh um so yeah after for a time after this understandably she left new york and activism um marcia remained and it was in this period that marcia modeled for the warhol screen painting and she was performing with the hot peaches and sylvia still reeling from the cruelty of the liberation day incident and struggling with substance dependencies temporarily basically retired from most active activism and she moved to a place called tarrytown in new york for a number of years Never heard of Terrytown. Me neither. I think it must be upstate. Yeah, I don't think it's in the city. Oh, I see. Uh, As documented in the film Life and Death of Marsha P. Johnson, which we spoke about earlier, uh, the transgender activist, filmmaker and writer Tourmaline. That's who we've been... Yeah, after Carrot flagged it, I was like, oh, God, we've got to find out who that is. Yeah, yeah, Tourmaline. It was was her work that the the director had plagiarised. Stolen. Yeah, stolen. Yeah. 
Uh, so Tourmaline has accused filmmaker David France of stealing work from her to create the death and life of Marsha P. Johnson. Marsha spent the years prior to her murder struggling with her mental health, going through periods of gender dysphoria and dealing with her HIV diagnosis. Throughout her own personal struggles, Marsha campaigned for gay rights and the rights of other sufferers of HIV AIDS in the first wave of the epidemic, living companionably with Randy Wicker until her murder. So following Marsha's murder in 1992, Sylvia's grief unleashed a further tidal wave of gender dysphoria and a downward spiral into addiction. She was homeless for long periods of time, living on the piers near where Marsha's body was found floating in the Hudson River. However, she did say that this living situation was her choice. She wanted to be near the people. She said, I want to be near those who need me the most. So again, that's that maternal spirit. She said, I want to be with my children, which, um, yeah... I think in the spirit of protecting people as well, I think maybe we should have a little break. Yes, let's have a little break. (laughs) Good plan. All right, and we're back. And we're back. So, off we go. (laughs) Sylvia got sober in her final years, spurred back into revolutionary action by the 2000 murder of Amanda Milan, a trans woman who was murdered by two men by a bus terminal. Sylvia reformed Star and got right back stuck into campaigning. We have to do it because we can no longer stay invisible, she wrote in her essay, Queens, um, which we will also post a link to in the show notes. Mm -hmm. We should not be ashamed of who we are. We have to show the world that we are numerous. Yeah. So it's what we were saying. It's, it's, it's this visibility and unity. These are the key tenants. Is it tenants or tenants? Tenants. Tenants? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, one... I didn't watch that Christopher Nolan film. <laughs> I don't... One, one's a... <laughs> was it shit? <laughs> Interminable. <laughs> was it? None of his fucking films make sense. <laughs> Do they? No. It, well, you have to be a certain level of wank to like. <laughs> <laughs> They're all quite incelly as well, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's. I read a really good um, article on the Madonna whore complex in his films. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's literally like almost every female character exists to have died and made the male protagonist seek vengeance or seek their <laughs> ambition or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. About there's right. always yeah. a dead wife in it. Yeah. Um, well, as they say, there's always a dead there's wife. There's always a dead wife. So <laughs> Sylvia uh, reformed Star and calling, renaming it Transy House. And that's where she was living. Um, she reformed it alongside fellow organisers, Dr. Rusty Maymore and Chelsea Goodwin. And she was providing shelter and community for homeless trans youth, just as the original Star House had decades ago. So battling with liver cancer in 2000 and now unable to attend demonstrations in person, Sylvia called New York City legislators into her hospital room where she pleaded with them to revise New York's Sexual Orientation Non-Discrimination Act, SONDA, which was finally poised to pass the state Senate without any protections for trans people. Sylvia's final published words were, I'll be damned if I'm going to my grave without having the respect this community deserves. I want to go wherever I go with that in my soul and peacefully say... I finally overcome. She never got her wish. She passed away on February the 19th. Oh, excuse me. You are. She never got her wish. She passed away on February 19th, 2002. Sonda would pass the following year without trans protections. She was 50 years old. Oh. <laughs> 
Sorry about that. Oh, well, no, not at all. That is rough. <laughs> to dedicate your life to something and never see it come to fruition, I think, is really... But she's got... But we're there now. We're yeah. There because of what she did. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you had those, um, those words, like, but there's no reason why she's not still alive in the spirit of the movement. And what's the reason why everything's still happening and there's still change is because of her and what she did. So I think that she didn't die and not get her wish. Yes. Her wish is still coming true. Yeah. Oh, that's so so well put. That's exactly it. And she just didn't get to see it, but she she made it happen. (laughs) And just because you didn't see something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Mm, That's Um, true. And it was in 2002 was when the city legisla- the city legislators, the same ones who she'd called to her bedside, which I absolutely love as well. Like, I can't come to you, so you will come to me yes, where yes. I am dying of liver cancer. You will get round. Because uh, by this point, obviously, she's got a bit of clout. She's able to go, yeah. like, it's me, Sylvia Rivera, come to my hospital bed. And they go, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. Um, and yeah, just two years after her death, they pushed through the Transgender Rights Bill, which finally expanded discrimination protections to include trans people so exactly as you said she got it done so here we are at the end of our sister episodes on Marsha and Sylvia and I would say that although their lives were often fraught and riven by heartbreak and abuse their legacy is one of boundless energy and fearless dedication to a cause which did not always appreciate them and they rest in power absolutely Oh, Carrot, thank you so much. In many ways, they're still alive in the movement and in our spirit. Absolutely. That's so beautifully put. You know, it's, it's so... It's so easy to get, yeah, as you know, read, we both got a bit upset there reading out both the end, but like, you're right, it's not an end. It's not, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a semicolon. Sure. <laughs> it's not yes. a full stop. And yeah, that's so, that's so beautifully put. Thank you so much, Carrot. Thank you. Thanks oh. for- it's been so lovely having you on and thank you so very much for giving your time and your energy and your just light. You are such a wonderful person. Thank you so much. We've had a lot of compliments really- from people that are just really missing um, people like yourself. <laughs> uh, missing yeah. live performance as well. Yeah. That was a big thing we got back in the feedback. It's like just listening to Carrot speak. I was like, I want to go. I want to see some cabaret. I want <laughs> Desperate. I'm desperate to be on a stage. Oh, so yeah. plugs and hugs, babe. I mean, I know nothing's live yet, but where will people be seeing you in real true life? Um, right. All I'm going to say is follow the NB show. Follow okay. the NB show, guys, everyone. At the NB show on everything. And um, there are some big plans <sighs> in the making that are very. I'm really excited about. Ah! Uh, so I can... I don't know. When's this coming out? Um, not Tuesday. Tu- yeah, Tuesday. This Tuesday. This Tuesday. Don't reveal anything you don't have to. Okay, I'm not going to say yet, but I'm going to say follow it. Ooh, and, um, and it's going to be very exciting this summer. And um, yes, the dog's woken up again. Um, <laughs> I am, um, yes, just excited for the world to open up again. So make sure you follow at Carrot Drag as well. Yes. And, uh, I can't promise any good content, but at least I'll advertise my shows there. And- <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And good content will follow. Exactly. Did exactly. I, exactly. Did I see a, a shout out for Simpsons inspired acts? <gasps> yes. I mean, I do. <clears throat> um, 
after the la last sort of easing of lockdown, I ran a night called A Night in Springfield, which was a Simpsons-themed cabaret show, and sold out, like, really early on, it sold out, so I didn't really even have to advertise it this time, I, uh, so obviously I'm doing it again. Yes! And hopefully going to make it like a biannual quarterly thing, you know? Amazing. Uh, Please tell me but, someone does the monorail song. Not yet. <laughs> The Monorail song is my favourite Simpsons song ever. I did end the night with a rendition of A Spring in Springfield Love where that. I took my clothes off. Incredible. Character's an amazing Lisa Simpson illusion as well. It's really fun. I've been rhinestoning it, actually. That's what <laughs> Amazing. I can't wait. I'm going to go straight to your Instagram and have a look. Everything. <laughs> Incredible. If you've got any live streams, do let us know as well and we'll pop them on our on our socials as well. Will do. Thank you. Yes, please. <laughs> Thank you so much, darling. I can't wait to come and see one of your shows and meet you in yes. person. Hooray. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Diva Energy. If you did and you want to reach out and have a chat, share your own BDE stories with us, just get in touch. Tell us which diva means the most to you. You can tweet us at Diva Energy or email us at bigdivaenergypod at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. This podcast is a Dark Mutters production. If you thought the pod was a real brick, then don't forget to like and subscribe. Alternatively, if you thought we were like bell bottoms and very much out, get, get in, in the, the sea. sea! Bye! Bye! Bye.